Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm glad that you're with us this morning as we are talking about the gift of hope. We've been talking each week and we'll continue uh, next week uh, and all the way on to Christmas Sunday even talking about the gift of of hope, and actually, at some point today, you will hear from the back a raucous rendition of Jingle Bells to the tune of A flat, A sharp, and C. So, all at one time. And that is actually as we're prepping for our kids' Christmas, which is next week. So, if you love adorable things and the truth of the gospel combined, then you should definitely come because that's going to be really fun. Uh, but uh, we're going to be talking today about reconciliation. They're starting. You guys ready? <laughs> uh, and, I, and I say this, and I want to give you a little preface that at the end of service, we really specifically want to pray for reconciliation. So at the end, and I, and I hope you came at least in some sense hungry for possibility and hope in your life. At the end, we want to pray together for reconciliation. Maybe that's you and the Lord. Maybe that's uh, you and your family. Whatever it might be, we're going to pray together. But I just tell you that because I know that taking a step out can be scary a little bit. And so it's easier to kind of be the frozen chosen. But we really believe that in taking a step of faith that God moves. So I'm just, I'm giving you the preface. But today we're going to talk about reconciliation. How many here love Christmas movies? How many of you are Christmas movie fans? I'm a huge Christmas movie fan. I, one of my favorite Christmas movies is Home Alone 2. I like Home Alone 1. Home Alone 2 just takes it to a whole other level. And uh, as a kid, I just cracked up to Home Alone. I, and I, I watch my daughter now, and she just, she laughs so hard. Like those kid, like, gut laughs where they're just erupting with laughter at Home Alone 2. And just the absolute levels of violence that this middle schooler inflicts on two grown criminals, right? Uh, it's funny as an adult, and this be, could be because I have a mother who's a therapist, I, I watch Home Alone, and my thought in watching Home Alone is uh, twofold. One, I always forget that Donald Trump is in Home Alone too, which is a, it's always a, I'm like, oh, I forgot he's in this. There's a season of time where he was in a lot of television. Um, <laughs> and the other thing that I think is, wow, uh, this is a lot of childhood trauma. Right? As a grown adult, do you watch Home Alone and you're like, wow, the amount of therapy this kid is going to have. Right? I watch it and I think, like, oh, my goodness. Like, even before in Home Alone 1, even before they abandon him to go on vacation, right? Like, they tell him, you can't have dinner and we don't want you here. Go to the attic. Right? Like, they don't start as good parents. And you know they're not good people because they don't even know anybody to call when their child's left at home. They have no friends. Right? The world has spoken. Right? <laughs> right? They have neighbors, and they're all out of town because they're all so rich. Right? Uh, but, but I think about this where it's like even before they abandoned him to go on vacation, and then like his mom, you know, you're watching it as a kid, and you're like, wow, his mom loves him so much that she's taking such a fabulous journey to, to come find him. But then when you watch it and you really think about it, you realize she returns home 35 seconds before the rest of the family. And really it's a story of an impulsive woman who abandons the rest of her family on Christmas to go get the one child that she abandoned on Christmas. And then the husband comes home and he's like, yeah, we're all here. We just took a plane and not a bus 
or a truck full of tuba players, right? It's a chaotic story. And I, I think about this as an adult because my brain is broken, but I think, man, how much work would it be to rebuild trust with your kid after you left them? And I get after Home Alone 1. I mean, maybe, but you probably have to move. I don't know what the situation is, right? But they don't. I, I get Home Alone 1, but after Home Alone 2, right? It's one thing if you forget them at home, like you're so wealthy, you have enough rooms you can forget children in. But it's another thing if you just abandon him at the airport and he's in New York at some rich uncle's home fighting off the same criminals that he had before. At that point, that kid has some serious issues. You gotta pay Sheila for some deep counseling, right, to work through those things. That's how I think as an adult. Because like as a kid, you're like, oh yeah, it's a family movie, it's about family. As an adult, you're like, yeah, it's a family movie because every family is kind of messed up. Right? <laughs> Every family has like, even the best family has like, it's just a scotch of childhood trauma, right? And so as we head into the Christmas season, everything on TV and movies is like, it's a time for family. It's a time. And I love it. You know, I love my family. I love my extended church family. Our family is bigger than just, just blood for us. It's, it's greater in a sense. And we love celebrating that. Uh, and, and everywhere you go, it's about family and friendship. Every commercial is like, buy your family a car without letting them know. Put a bow on it. It'll be fine, right? It's like it's all about relationship. It's like every Hallmark movie is about coming home to family. And She's a high-powered lawyer, and he's a small-time wood cobbler. Join us for this season's Hallmark movie of the year, Cobblers of the Heart, right? <laughs> and it's like they learn by she finds out he's a millionaire, but it's okay because she's already fallen in love with him, you know? like all of these things. It's all about relationship. But when you actually are around people, like in the holidays, what you find is it's less idealistic. And the reality, the reality of the holidays is that for many people, the idea of being around our family is actually incredibly stressful, right? Because our families are not perfect, right? <laughs> in fact, in our families and in our relationships, there's actually a lot of brokenness, right? There's a lot of fragmentation. There's disagreements. There's tension. And so you might be the kind of person that is getting ready to travel for Christmas. We have a lot of that in the valley. People travel away for Christmas. Uh, or you might be the kind of person that has people traveling in for Christmas. Some people do that here. They come in. They're like, I'm tired of it being cold. I'm going to come in for Christmas. And some of you might be doing neither, and that presents its own tension. You're not going anywhere, and you're not having anybody come in for Christmas. It's one of the reasons we do Christmas morning service is so that we can celebrate together as a church family because church family is this beautiful uh, extension and even greater expression of our earthly family. But I know for many people, Christmas is a stressful season. You're thinking about the people you will see or you won't see, and it's stressful. It's frustrating, maybe disappointed. Maybe this year your relationships don't look like you had always thought they would. Maybe your family there's brokenness in your family, intention in your family. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe you have a strained or distant relationship with your kids or your grandkids. This morning, I want to offer hope to anybody who's in that place today, who looks at, at Christmas and says, there is a sense of brokenness, there is a sense of distance, there is a sense of hurt or disappointment in my life, in my family, in my relationships. Today, I want to offer you hope that this can be a season, a time, a moment of reconciliation. That the hope of Christmas is the hope of reconciliation 
by Jesus Christ for your life and through your life. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to bring the hope of reconciliation. I want to read a scripture. If, if you would open up uh, your Bible with me today to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The words will be on the screen in just a moment. We're going to read them. But before we do, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're present with us in the reading of the word and that you're speaking and you're renewing and you're strengthening. I pray that our hearts would be open to you, that our hearts would be open to how you're speaking and that you would move and you would renew and you would bring reconciliation today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, let's read the word of God together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says this. It says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You might say, is that that's a Christmas verse? Well, yeah, every verse about Jesus is a Christmas verse. <laughs> because Jesus didn't just come so that we can have a nice Christmas time and enhance and adapt some Nordic traditions to have Christmas trees and think about snow and Bing Crosby, right? Jesus came for a very specific purpose, right? We think about, you know, tiny baby Jesus in the manger, but Jesus came with a purpose. He came with an objective to fulfill. And when Jesus was born, the purpose he was born to fulfill was to reconcile us to himself. What does it mean to reconcile? Reconciliation is restoration through forgiveness. In the terms of what Christ has done, it's restoration through forgiveness. He's restoring. He came to restore us to himself through forgiveness. And this is important. This is the foundation. If you're taking notes, I just want you to write this down because this is a really important foundation. Reconciliation happens when the offended forgives the offense. Like, universally, this is true. Reconciliation happens when the offended, when the person who has been offended, who has suffered some kind of offense, not somebody said something and you chose to be offended by it, but there, there's been an offense done to you, against you. When the person who has been offended forgives the offense, and so too the offender, right? When you forgive the offense, you have forgive the person who has offended. And so that is where this all begins. That's what Paul is describing in Christ. When he talks about he who had no, he made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Let's talk about that for a second. I just want to break that down, that verse together. If you have your Bible, just look at that verse, verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin. That's an important statement. He made him to be sin. God made Christ to be sin. 
The book of Hebrews chapter 7 says that Jesus is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above heaven. In fact, when Jesus is brought at the time of his crucifixion, he's brought before Pilate. When he's brought up on charges uh, against him for what he's done, Pilate, who is the Roman authority, he's not even uh, a, a Jewish authority. He's completely detached from any kind of messianic thought. Even Pilate has to say in Luke 23, I find no fault in him. Because Jesus, fully man, fully God, was completely blameless and spotless. When, when he was lowered into baptism and raised up, it says that the heavens opened and that the Father God spoke down and said, this is my son who I am well pleased. And so Jesus, importantly, is the sinless and spotless lamb. He is unstained by sin though he walked and lived in a sinful world so just like you and i live in a sinful world so did jesus and yet he is unstained by that sin are you still with me amen, amen. and so what he's saying paul's saying in verse 21 is though he did not sin it says god made him who had no sin to be sin for who who does it say he made sin to him to be sin for for us for us that's so important he came for who? For us. See, sin separates us from God. God's love is great. God's love is magnificent. God's love is beautiful. We were created to live in that deep revelation and that relationship of that love with God. That's what you were created for. And yet sin separates because sin is slavery to the flesh and therefore death. Sin says, I rebel against God who loves me and I pursue unrighteousness. And so what happens is, if God is infinitely just, which if he's perfect, he has to be perfectly just. If God is perfectly just, what must his response to injustice and the injustice and the rebellion of sin be? Well, it would have to be the response that any perfect justice would respond to injustice, and that would be to pass perfect judgment, right? To pass judgment, to bring justice where there has been injustice, because if you ignore injustice, that's not perfect justice. That's not perfect judgment. So he has, there has to be judgment. And judgment realized and actualized is this word we really don't like, even maybe more than judgment, which is the word wrath. If we don't like a word more than judgment, the word is def that word is wrath. It's so like the wrath of God, man, that's a scary, that's a whole vibe, right? You hear a preacher talking about wrath and judgment, like you're like, our church needs more of like a steeple and you need to be sweating more, right, to really match that. You don't have that vibe. You look like the kind of guy that would ignore all those things, right? It's like, no, trust me, I, I'm, I'm really big. This is important. This is important. Because it, it, it frames how we understand God. And we, it frames how powerful his love is for us. Because if there really is no need for justice, and there's no need for judgment, and there's no wrath, then it's like not that big of a deal that he died for our sins or not. It's like, oh, that was nice. And if we accept it, that's neat. And if we do it, that's cool. But we need the present reality of the fact that because of our sin and rebellion to God, we were separated and sent to death. And that was our choice. But Jesus came and died for our sins to give us a new choice, which is to walk in the freedom of new life in him instead of suffering the wrath from our own sins. Are you still with me? And so what God does is he sends Jesus. He's born in a manger 
over 2,000 years ago so that he would go to a cross after living a sinless life and that God would take all of the sin and all of the wrath for that sin for all of human history and he would pour that wrath onto Jesus. Jesus did not just like go to the cross for you because he had nothing better to do on that day. He went with a specific purpose and it's the purpose he was born for. To take upon himself all of your sins, all the sins for all who would believe, to take upon himself, to take that wrath, that suffering upon himself. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? Knowing that some people won't even receive it. Why? Why go through all that suffering? Why be bored? Why live? Why go through all that pain? Why die in that way? Why take it upon yourself? Because he wants to reconcile you to himself. See, Jesus did not go to the cross to give you a new list of rules or added list of rules to follow or to keep you from having fun. He went to rescue you from death and to reconcile you back into life with him. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came to reconcile you to himself by dying for you. Reconciliation is the will of God for your life. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, in that verse 18, if you're still there, you can see it. It says, all this is from God. Reconciliation is the will of God for your life. See, this great act is God's will. It's his purpose for, our, for your life. It comes from him for you, and it calls you to be reconciled to him. That's why Paul says in verse 17, this is one of my favorite verses, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Have you thought about that? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Man, if you found Christ, how thankful are you that you're a new creation? You're not just a tag-along old creation. He doesn't just put up with your stink. He's like, ah, I smell he's in the back. We just leave him back there, right? You're a new creation. He has made you new that all of the sin, all of the shame of your old self is gone. Now, it might inform your testimony, but it doesn't have to limit your or affect your identity, right? It informs, wow, God has rescued me from this, but it doesn't necessarily say, you're that. And sometimes the enemy tries to say, you're still that. You're still stuck there. You're defined and trapped by that. But God says, you're released. You've been made new. And that's important because what we often forget is that Christ has already forgiven you. Maybe you've never heard that. Let, let, me, hear, let me say that again. Christ has already forgiven you. Like, if you're unsure that he's forgiven you, like, man, I hope he forgives me. You're 2,000 years late with that thought. He's already forgiven you. Think on that. 2,000 years ago, he looked through time and was like, listen, I forgive you. You're like, are you sure? Have you seen what I've done? He's like, yes, I'm actually outside of all time. I've seen it. In fact, I've seen what you're going to do. Forgive you for that too. <laughs> I see you driving home in traffic. Forgive that. <laughs> I see you at Christmas when that uncle says that thing and you, know, and you reproach him. <laughs> I see that. Forgive you. He's already forgiven you. He's already forgiven your sins. 
That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, it says, not only that Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, it says this, it says, not counting their trespasses. How many of you have had some trespasses in life, right? Not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. He doesn't count your trespasses against you. That's amazing, because he could, but he doesn't. You who believe, you who call on his name. You who call on him to be saved out of the darkest place. All of us who have called the name of the Lord to save us out of the darkest place. He does not hold your trespasses over you. In fact, in Psalms 103 verse 12, that's why the psalmist says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And here's what's amazing. Even the psalmist knew the earth wasn't flat. That we are part of a celestial heaven that rotated around the center of the sun. Even the psalmist declared that and understood the order. We've apparently recently forgotten that thanks to Instagram. But the reality is that the distance between the east and the west is actually infinite. That's important. It's infinite. He's removed your transgressions infinitely from you. Stop trying to hold on, find, define yourself by, limit yourself by, define your intimacy with God, limit your intimacy with God by things that he has infinitely removed from you. You will not find the judgment for them, but you can continually hold yourself down. But he says, no, I've forgiven you. I've removed your sins. They're gone. Someone needs to hear this this morning. Stop holding on to what he died for on the cross. Stop defining yourself by it. Stop limiting yourself by it. Stop disqualifying yourself by it. The things that he has forgiven you by. You don't, now, it might be part of your testimony because he's part of overcoming it. Yeah. And it might be a temptation because it's part of your journey of faith of trusting him in it yeah. and to overcome it. But it doesn't need, mean that you cannot come to the Father because of it. He's already taken it. And he's forgiven it. He's forgiven you. The offended forgave the offense. But what I love about God is he doesn't just say, great, you're in. Now get to the back and be quiet. He does something even greater. Christ invites us into the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given a ministry. Did you know that this morning? We think of ministry of just like what things like pastors do or we do. But we've all actually been called into the ministry. If you say, I follow you, Jesus, you have been given a ministry and actually a message of reconciliation. See, we receive reconciliation through Christ. And what I love about the reconciliation we've received is that it seems impossible in the eyes of the world. Right? right? Your reconciliation, my reconciliation to Christ is impossible. Remember yourself before Christ? You're like, yes, it's impossible through my own power. Well, I can't die for my own sins. It's not by me. Someone's doing It's not me, right? It's impossible, but it's supernatural because God does it. And that's what's amazing is we have that message, and because we have that message, we have that ministry that when someone says to us reconciliation is impossible, we say, no, it's not impossible. It might seem improbable or unlikely in, in an earthly sense, but it's not not impossible because let me tell you about an impossible reconciliation that was made possible by God and it was mine to him that's what God invites us into is into a ministry of reconciliation because not only 
Do we have the ministry? We have the message. How do you share a message? Well, you might preach it, right? That's one way to share a message, to preach it. But you don't always have that opportunity in your life, right? I don't know about you. Now, I preach, but this is one of a few opportunities I have to preach the message. The rest of my life, I have to live the message, which for most of us is 98% of our life is not preaching a message. We don't preach to our families. We don't necessarily preach to our friends. What do we do with that message of reconciliation? We live it. See, this is our faith. When we don't understand faith, what we think of it is is like a light switch. It's like I'm turning on faith. As if like any relationship works that way, right? It's growth. It's a journey. It's sanctification. And we make a decision to follow. But this this vertical relationship with God is something that we're learning, right? We're learning. We're growing. We're being obedient. We're surrendering. We're taking up pride, and then we're surrendering it. We're repenting. We're confessing, right? We're living in that space with God. We're learning what that means, but then also we're living it out. We're living it out, not only vertically, but horizontally, because as we're learning about reconciliation and what that really means in our life, because we're finite and imperfect, we don't have infinite understanding, and Scripture tells us we won't ever have infinite understanding. That we know in part and we prophesy in part. We're also living it out horizontally with our family and in our marriages and in our life and in our city and our nation. We're trying to live out. Is anyone trying to live out reconciliation? Right? As I learn here, I live out here. So in many ways, our walk, our relationship with Christ is simply us living out that reconciliation reflected to others. And we see this in how Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. How many of you have heard about the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever read the Lord's Prayer? Lord's Prayer? In the Lord's Prayer, it's like become this thing that we think is really cute and neat. And it's like, you know, if you go into Hobby Lobby, maybe you'll see like 20 versions of the Lord's Prayer. It's like, do I want to get it on some kind of rusted aluminum or burlap or like a white a Magnolia Farms looking thing, right? It becomes this like really adorable. Some of you are like, how dare you, first of all, to find my home. Um, yeah, I just like all of those things. So, I don't know what to say. Leave the church. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> you should see my house. It's a mess. You can come judge me after this. Uh, <laughs> but we make it cute. But I just want to read to you part of the Lord's Prayer. Now I am actually sweating. Part of the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> it says this, Matthew six eleven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is what Jesus tells us. He's like, say this. They're like, what do we say? He's like, say this when you pray. Here it is. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're like, that's nice. Daily bread, big carbs fan. And forgiveness. Sounds cool. Put it on the wall. Maybe like a tin plate you can hang up. Right? Put some scented pine cones in it. It's beautiful. But then we read this other part. Church attendance way down next week. Then we read this second part. <laughs> for if you forgive others, verse 14, their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. Whoa. That's the kind of verse that if your grandma etches into a pillow you know you've offended her somehow, right? <laughs> right? You're like, okay, we forgot her birthday again, right? 
Because that is a strong verse. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, meaning like against you or against others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Like, okay, I thought this thing was unconditional. <laughs> well, let me explain by reading another scripture, because scripture is much better at explaining than I am. Matthew 18, 21. I love this interaction with Peter, and I think it explains it so clearly about what God means by forgiveness. It says, Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? He's looking for approval. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seven times 70. Yours might say 77 times. How it reads is seven times 70. It's literally like 70 times, 70 times. Peter comes up to Jesus, and he's trying to be really holy. And so he picks the Lord's number, seven, because Hebrew is alphanumeric. And in an alphanumeric language, words uh, and, and numbers are linked. So the numbers have words assigned to them. So seven's always been like the Lord's number, seven days, right? On the seventh day, he rested, right? Sabbath's on the seventh. There's seven years, the, the, the year of Jubilee, right? It's like, so Peter picks a really holy number, Right, this is that kid in Bible study that none of you liked, right? You know, you know that kid? He's like, I heard that seven is how many times we should forgive goldfish, right? He's expecting something. So that's what Peter does. And Jesus hits him with another number, 490, which on a grand scale is, is nice because Jesus is saying keep forgiving. He picks a big number. On a, on a localized, uh, clever sense of the writer writing this out, I actually like this subtle note because Hebrew is alphanumeric, and that means 490 has an alphanumeric value. He's picking this 490 times, not only to say something great, but to say that 490 is associated in Hebrew with the word tamin, which means complete, perfect, or finished. Like in 1 Kings 8.61, he says, let your heart be tamin, be perfect, be complete, be finished. And I think this is important because Jesus came to bring us forgiveness. That he came to reconcile us to himself by the work on the cross. And the work that he came to do was made complete on the cross, which is why on the cross Jesus says, it is what? Finished. finished. It is finished. I have done what I was born to do. What we're celebrating on Christmas, I've done what I have come to do to take the sins of the world upon myself. We're thankful that he rose again on the third day. But he says it's finished. See, Christ was the complete fullness of God. And Colossians 2.9 says he made us complete through him. So when Peter says, how many times, God, the Lord's number? He says, no, forgive continually as the continuation of the work that I have done in your life and I am doing in your life. Is somebody awake enough to know that's good this morning? Reconciliation is how we live out our own reconciled life with Christ. That's how we live it out, by participating and activating the ministry of reconciliation in our own life. That we live as functioning elements of the completeness and the work that God wants to do here. Bringing wholeness where there was brokenness. 
We live in a world that is so celebrated brokenness. I was somewhere the other day and someone was wearing a shirt that was just like broken. And I understand we're all broken. And I get that, that we're all broken. We have brokenness. But Christ has come to make you whole, to renew you, to give you strength, to give you power by the Holy Spirit, to not only do the reconciling work here, but to give you the ministry of reconciling there. That no matter what job you work, what family you have, what relationship status, what your bank account looks like, that you have an incredibly powerful ministry that brings life to dead places by the God who brought life to your dead place in your heart and your soul. That's how we live out our own reconciliation. That's the work that Christ wants to make complete. When he says, I'm believing that God will make complete the work he's begun, that he'll bring it to completion. That's the work. It's this understanding and participating in reconciliation. What was the Lord's prayer? To give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I love those two things because they're linked. Because when we celebrate and remember forgiveness, we participate in something called communion. Communion. And in communion, what do we usually take first? Someone remember? You've been here for communion. What do we eat first in communion? The bread. Because Jesus said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. It is the cost, the brokenness. And so in the Lord's Prayer, just as we cannot survive without daily bread, we cannot survive spiritually and relationally without forgiveness. Because forgiveness is the key to reconciliation. Like I said earlier, reconciliation cannot occur where the offended refuses to forgive the offense. And that matters because reconciliation brings new life. It brings new life for you and the Lord, and it brings new life in your family. It brings new life in your relationships. Man, it brings new life in this nation. This nation needs reconciliation. It brings new life. You might look at your life. You might look at your family. You might look at your relationships and you think, no way. Dude, you do not know what I'm going home to at Christmas. That hurt is way too deep. Those people are way too difficult. They believe the craziest things. I can't even follow my own family on Facebook. I don't talk to them. I pop in. I pop out. I book flights so that I avoid them, right? I'm limiting time. It's a load management scenario, right? Just working as little as I can. Listen, I, I understand because I have those relationships. I know those relationships, but can I encourage you? I have seen God do the most abundant miracles in those relationships, not because of our power, not because of our might, because he's the God who reconciles. That he's the God who speaks into dead places and brings life. I can't raise the dead. I can't part the seas. I can't go to the cross for sins and be, you know, risen for new life. But I'm invited in to relationship with the God who does, which means I can look at my family and say, God, there's possibility. There's hope here, not because of me, but because of God. And so all of a sudden, my, my, mindset, my mindset shifts. Got to be careful how I say that. My mindset shifts. And all of a sudden, it's not me trying to fix my family, but it's me trying to learn more how to trust God. 
and entrust my family to him and intercede for my family and go into that quiet place of prayer for my family. I don't just come to worship nights because I like songs. I come because I'm believing new life for my family. I don't get up and pray just because I don't want to feel guilty. I don't read my Bible and do my devotional and spend time just because I feel guilty if I don't and I don't want like, you know, my small group to judge me if I didn't read my chapter that week or whatever. I, I, I spend that time with the Lord because I'm believing something great that's only possible through him. Some of you need to take the weight off your shoulders and just lay it at the feet of Christ today and say, God, I trust you with my family. I trust you with my kids. I trust you with my spouse. I trust you with this nation. I trust you. Our hope is in you, God. I want to read you a story real quick as we close, and it's a man named Joe. Not far from where Joe lives is a sign that says, please do not drink and drive. And under that sign is another sign that reads, in honor of Amy Wall. And Amy Wall is the woman that Joe killed driving drunk in 1992. Joe says that he didn't even realize after he committed the crime, he fled the scene. He didn't even realize what he had done or remembered what he had done that night. But he remembers being booked into Fresno County Jail for second degree murder. And as he sobered up, Joe was overcome by what he had done. In his words, he says, I was just looking for a way to kill myself. I was afraid. I was angry. I was sad. And really, two, two lives were destroyed that night in that moment. Joe's life and, crucially, Amy's life. But God would not let their story end there because God is a God of reconciliation. And sometimes you look at a situation and you might ask God why, but sometimes we got to look at a situation and ask God how. Because only God can do something in that situation. God, how can you do something with this? When preparing for his murder trial, Joe checked into a six-month sobriety program with the Salvation Army. And while he was there, Joe said, God put uh, some people in my life who made me understand what reconciliation was and what forgiveness was. And a few months into the program, he had given his life fully and completely to the Lord. And he made a decision that would really impact him and the family forever. He, just before Easter in 1993, he went into the courthouse with his legal team and he changed his plea from not guilty to guilty. And he told the judge that he was remorseful. He expressed his remorse and he went to rehab. Uh, but the judge had very little faith that he was uh, rehabilitated or could be saved from alcoholism. And so Joe was sentenced to the maximum for uh, his uh, designation that he, he was being tried under, and that was 12 years in prison. So Joe was sentenced for 12 to 12 years in prison. And in prison, Joe, who had begun to find and discover Christ, uh, changed his life. And in prison, of all places, he began to minister. He began to serve at the chapel. And he would go in and he would care for the prison's hospice patients. If you didn't know, yes, prisons have hospice patients. And he went in. He began to care and love on the prison's hospice patients. After he was released, Joe's mentor called. And he said, Amy Wall's brother, Derek, wanted to meet with him. And uh, Joe had spent many days, many months, many years being terrified of this encounter. 
being terrified of these meetings, someone in the family. But he prayed, and he said, God, would you, if there's any chance somehow, God, would you help reconcile with Amy's family? And so Joe met with Derek for hours, and Derek told Joe all about Amy, and he told Joe that he thought Joe was a monster, that he had wished that Joe would have gotten the electric chair for what he had done to his sister. But Derek said the family had been following what God had done in Joe's life, how he'd come to Christ, how he'd served others. And Joe looked at Derek and told him something he had longed to say. He said, I am so sorry for what I've done, and I hope that someday you can forgive me. Later, Joe's mentor called again, and he told him, listen, Rick Wall, Amy's father, wants to meet you. And that is scarier than the brother, to meet with the father of the girl that you murdered. But at that meeting, something miraculous happened. Rick told Joe about the two days a year when he would go visit Amy's grave on her birthday and on the anniversary of her death. And then Rick said, Joe, I, I know uh, what you've been doing for a long time now, even when you were in prison, caring for hospice patients. He said, I approve of it. And then Rick said something that I, I think really changed the whole story. In one of the most profound moments of reconciliation, Rick Wall looked at Joe Avila and said, I forgive you. Joe's words, here's what he said. He said, Rick Wall, Amy's father, forgave me before I even asked him to forgive me. Amen. Joe admitted that it was painful to seek forgiveness from the walls, but he knew God could use the situation for God's glory if he did. And so his relationship began to grow. And one day, Joe and Derek were asked if they would speak at an event kind of uh, topically surrounding what had happened and occurred in their life. And the night of the event, Amy's father, Rick, comes up to Joe, and he looks at Joe, and he hugs him. He embraces the man who killed his daughter, and he looks him in the eyes, and he says, I love you, Joe. Now, I just, I understand this story I'm telling you, but I need you to understand that these are real people. The, the, I just want to, I'll read you Joe's words. He says this, I killed his daughter, and he was able to give me a hug and say, I love you. And that is a true testament to the miracle of reconciliation and why Christ did die on the cross. See, this is not a forgetting. This is not a removing of the brutal reality of the choices that were made and the consequences and the suffering and the pain and the hurt. But it is a recognition that if anybody can reconcile, if anybody can bring hope out of darkness, if anybody can bring restoration where there's only depression and anger and a desire for vengeance and violence, if anybody can bring hope, it is only God. It is a supernatural power. We don't have living on this earth what it takes. We need a God who has reconciled us, who has that power and authority and great mercy that overflows to come down and to engage with us in that moment and bring reconciliation. Before Joe asked for forgiveness, the father said, I forgive you. 
Some of you here today need to hear that. Before you have asked for forgiveness, the Father has already said to you, I forgive you. God has already forgiven you. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He takes your sin as far as the east is from the west. And for those who believe, you can receive right now the reconciliation that comes from God. You can receive it right now for your life, in your heart, for eternity, a reconciliation with God. I just want you to hear me say there is hope for you and there is hope for your family. Right now, every person, through Jesus Christ, there is hope and healing. There's hope for you and there's hope for your family because there's hope for you. And there's hope for every member of your family. Like you don't know every member of my family. I don't need to. I know the God that invites you into yeah, his family. That's right, that's right. He says, listen, there's hope for you. Band, you guys can come forward. I just want you to take a second and think of your family. Think of your relationships. Think of the places. Maybe you know somebody who is estranged, broken, hurting. Can I just tell you, God not only wants to reconcile you, he wants to reconcile relationships. But he wants to reconcile if you're open. He won't force you to reconcile. You know how you can't force your, like, your dad, your mom, your kids to reconcile? God, God's not going to force you. But his desire is that you would be reconciled. And sometimes the question we have to ask is, do I want control or do I want reconciliation? Because if you want reconciliation, the, the, the preparation is trust. Will I trust God so there can be reconciliation? What offense do I need to lay down? Maybe as the offender or the offended. Maybe you're here today. You're the offender, as we all are before God. You have an offense. You have a sin in your heart in your life, and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, and you hold that, and Christ is here to say, just give it to me. Man, that's what this church is, that's what church is built for, to come in and say, God, I give you everything. But this is a safe place for that, to say, I, I, I don't want to leave carrying the same chains I carried in. I want to leave them at the altar. You know what the altar is? It's a dumping ground for the chains of brokenness of the world. It's a place of liberation, so you can go out liberated. Or maybe you're here as the offended. Someone has spoken. Someone has done physically, emotionally, mentally, done things against you that have hurt you. And often in our world, we see forgiveness as this kind of lived out state where you go to the person and kind of like have a conversation where you seek justice. How many of you had those conversations that not really go how you thought it would? Because they don't care, right? Because they're also broken. See, forgiveness is different. It's trusting that God is the God of justice. And it's saying, I forgive them, and I give it to God, and I trust God to move within them. I trust God to move within my family. I trust God to move in that relationship. I trust God to move with my children. I trust in you, God. What do we need to lay down? Something we've done or something we've hold? Something we've held on to? Would you stand with me? I want to ask you two questions as you do. As you stand this morning, bow your head, close your eyes, let's stand together. I want to ask
ask you two questions here. And then, like I said, I, we're going to have a time of prayer. We had a powerful time of prayer in ministry in the first service where God began to break away chains in people's life. And people were even just standing in. They're like, yes, I have a family that needs reconciliation. I got a family member who's just, just way out. And, and I need God to bring them close. But in just a moment, I'm going to invite you forward. But I want you to think on two questions. Two questions this morning. What offense have I committed that I will not allow God to forgive me of? What offense have I committed that I will not allow God to forgive me of? Now, he's already forgiven you, but I mean like you just still won't give it to him. Like The enemy comes and he whispers and he says, this is the reason you can't be near to God because of this, because of this choice, because of this temptation, because of this thing that's come against you. And so you've allowed that to define and limit the intimacy before God. But this morning you're saying, you know what? I, I refuse to carry even a, a link of the chains of my old self, and I need to give it to God. What this morning, what offense have you committed that you need to lay down at the feet of God and say, God, no, you know what? I give you everything, even the whisper. I give it to you. I lay it at your feet. Things that have held me back, that have made me feel like I cannot be close to you. Right now, you and him. That's why your eyes are closed, just you and him. What is that thing this morning that you need to lay down at his feet and say, God, would you reconcile me to yourself in this moment? Reveal the depths and riches of your love. The second question is, what offense have you received that you are struggling to forgive and give to God? But this morning, you need to take that offense, that word, that action, that slight, that attack, whatever it was, and you need to take that and you need to lay it at his feet. It's like, it's like a heavy weight that has rested and pulled your soul down. And this morning, God wants to cut that chain off, to break that chain off, that your shoulders, your head would lift in the spirit and you would walk out free. What is that thing? It's caused bitterness. It's formed your identity. In many ways, it feels like you're almost cutting away a part of your adulthood because it's shaped so much of you. And yet God wants to make you new this morning. What offense have you received that you need to forgive and give to God? And just say, God, I forgive them. I might not ever even see them again. But God, I forgive them and I trust you with it. Just think for a moment. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment to speak. We invite you to break chains. We invite you to stir. We trust you in this moment. For some, I know, Lord, this is a scary moment right now. Taking a step to say, I have hope that there's reconciliation. I have hope there's reconciliation in my family, in my life. But God, we know that you're here. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. So right now, in just a moment, I'm just going to invite you forward. I know. It's a scary step for some, but we believe that God's moving here at the altar this morning. And I just, I'm inviting you because I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. So this morning, if you're here and you're saying, you know what? There's things in my heart I want to lay down to the Lord fully and completely. Or you're here in this place and you're saying, there's offenses I've received that I need to lay down. So maybe there's things you're holding on to that you've committed or things have been committed against you. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? I need to stand in the gap and believe for reconciliation in my family and my relationships. You're going to stand in the gap. You say, you know what? My family, as I head into this season, is broken. It could be big ways or small ways, but I'm standing in the gap. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, there's an offense I've committed I want to lay down at the feet of God. Or there's an offense I've received that I want to lay down at the feet of God and believe reconciliation. 
or you're just here and you're like, I, I need reconciliation in my family, in my life, before God. I want you right now to come forward. I want to pray for you right now. If you're believing for reconciliation, come forward and just stand right here. We're going to pray together. I'm going to give you a moment because I know that the Lord is God. Just come right here. struggles to receive that forgiveness and in many ways allows the lies of the enemy to limit their intimacy with you. I pray right now that you would reveal to them the depths and the riches of your great love. I pray that you would speak even right now to confirm and to reassure the depths and riches of your love for them and their life. That you have reconciled them to yourself. That you've brought deliverance by the power of the Holy Spirit through your death and resurrection on the cross. God, we speak against the ideas. We speak against the words that have been placed on lives that have tried to define and tried to hold down and tried to limit and tried to restrict. And we pray a freedom in the name of Jesus. And God, we pray right now over those who are holding offense in this church. We pray a release of offense in the name of Jesus for the heart, for the life that has grabbed a hold of words, of actions, of things that have begun to define them, that others have spoken or done against them. God, we pray for a miraculous release of that offense in the name of Jesus. Right now in this place, that that bitterness, that that anger would be gone in the name of Jesus. And God, we pray this morning for radical and supernatural reconciliation. God, we pray you would reconcile families right now that this season, God, for the father and the mother and the sons and the daughters and the children and the grandchildren. God, we pray a reconciliation of families. God, for what has been devastated for generations, we pray would be restored by the power of the Holy Spirit beginning right now. I pray you would place your hope in their hearts. God, we thank you that you are the God of reconciliation. And we pray over that family that feels like reconciliation is too far gone, is too impossible. 
We pray that nothing is impossible with you, God. And so we pray reconciliation in the name of Jesus over every single family. Reconciliation over every relationship in the name of Jesus. Reconciliation over that person that feels too far gone. We pray reconciliation in the name of Jesus. Let's just worship the Lord together this morning. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.